This message by Terry Virgo was recorded at the New Frontiers Together in a Mission Conference 2009 in Brighton. Take you as far as I know, we have come and are going, and uh, although not every I is dotted or T crossed, I believe God is beginning to give us understanding of what the future holds for us. We often call ourselves a family of churches. And although that's not a Bible phrase, it's one we feel very comfortable with. I was thrilled to see once again on the video the expression of family that is so strong internationally, locally. God has put that value profoundly in our hearts. And as Joel was saying in this last session, it comes right out from the very fact that God himself lives in Trinity, lives in relationship. And so we are not off course in emphasizing that magnificent value of expressing mutual love, affection, desire for one another's blessing. So the word family of churches, yeah, we're, we're really happy with that. We don't feel we want to abandon that. But it's not a Bible phrase. How do they think they, uh, the church is related in the Bible? How did they relate to one another? Geographically, locally? Well, it's not all that obvious in some ways, but I guess the word denomination didn't occur. And I guess that denomination doesn't have very good press for most people. Most people really don't like denominations. I remember John Noble, probably decades ago now, writing a little book, Forgive Us Our Denominations. I think inside he had things like, as we forgive those who denominate against us. So yeah, we're really nervous of denominations, and I guess for a number of reasons, what do we associate with denomination? I mean, quite strictly, it just means a name, doesn't it? If you can have a coin in your pocket, it's denominated, maybe 50 pence, whatever. That's uh, a right way of using that word. That's its denomination. It just means a name. But when we think of denominations, we tend to think of the structures associated with them. We tend to think of something that's sadly rather static. Something that perhaps is impersonal, can have a kind of headquarters mentality, maybe associated with rules, regulations, doesn't tend to be charismatic, sadly even if it started charismatic. We tend to think of denominations other than something vibrant, exciting, it's like like a kind of machine that's there. And so yes, we're rather nervous of that and resist being called a denomination. So what are we happy to be called? Well, we've often been happy to use this phrase, an apostolic sphere. You might say, what on earth is that? So I just want to spend a few moments in explaining why one is happy with apostolic sphere. Two reasons are, first of all, it's to do with the gift, apostle. Sphere to do with relationships around that gift. So we're happy respecting anointing, respecting gift, We love relationships, so yes, apostolic sphere, we're very happy with that kind of idea. We're also happy because it's a Bible concept. It's in the Bible. You will find such a thing clearly on display in the New Testament, apostolic sphere. Now, I just need to take a few moments to remind us of what do we mean by apostle. I don't want to spend a lot of time. It's not going to be a heavy Bible study on apostle, just some headlines that are important for us. The word apostle, based on a Greek word, apostolos, to send. There's a different word for send, 
tempo, but apostolos has with it a sense of authority, commissioning, almost like ambassadorial, representing someone, sent with authority. Tempo might be just more broad word for sending. Sometimes they use somewhat interchangeably, but apostolos carries that sense of being a representative, someone apprehended and sent. And of course, in the Bible, we have a number of categories of apostle. First of all, we have Jesus. We're told in Hebrews chapter 3, look to Jesus, the apostle of our confession. He is the ultimate sent one. He celebrated that. And you'll find in John's gospel in particular, some 40 plus times where he refers to his having been sent He's there with a commission. He's there with a task. He can say at the end, I've done the work you sent me to do. I've commissioned, I've fulfilled it. I've done it. Yeah, he had a task. He was very focused. He was a sent one. In the Old Testament, you get the contrast, really, of Moses before he was sent and after he was sent. Huge difference. Moses motivated by, yes, compassion. His brothers are... In slavery, he wants to help them. He wants to act. He wants to take some initiative. And out of his own compassion, he tries to help. It all goes wrong. It all goes pear-shaped. He runs away. And then we see the difference between a guy trying to help, meeting hindrances, problems, misunderstandings. Oh, I'm out of here. And a guy who's been apprehended and God coming to him and actually kind of bullying him. I said, I've called you. I'm sending you. And actually Moses, reluctant and fearful, no, 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 I am imposing my will on you, if you like. You are, I've chosen you. And you see a very different man. You see a guy, yeah, he still has his pains, his agonies, his difficulties, but he is sent. And he is really a kind of type of apostolic ministry in the Old Testament. And Jesus is modeled somewhat on Moses. Moses, we're told, was faithful over God's house as a servant. Jesus, faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus, the sent one, the unique sent one. Then we find the 12, the ones that Jesus uh, gathered around him, and he called them apostles. He commissioned them, he gathered them. They are unique. They are foundational to the city of God. They have a peculiar standing, 12, obviously uniquely reflecting the Old Testament people with the 12 sons of Israel, God establishing something that's full of significance. Yet the 12 are very unique. That's the second category. And then thirdly, there's another category. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers. And it goes on to explain something of their ministry, which we won't get into right now, but they're a different category of apostles. It's important for us to be biblically categorizing. You'll find that there are two schools almost in the church of God. There are those who say, when apostles finished, there were only 12 anyway, uh, that's the end of it. People like Campbell Morgan who said, well, even, even the, the 12 were quick uh, replacing Judas. Paul was obviously number 12 and this, that's the end of it. Lock it up, leave it. And then the other side is you say, well, apostle of music, Apostle of banking, apostle of, and you'll find it's getting in the glossy magazines. Wow, he's apostle of this, he's apostle of that. You think, what? Let's just try and be a bit more biblical, shall we? Let's try and get biblical categories. So here we get, yes, the 
those who are apostles of the ascended Christ, like the Apostle Paul. Though one could argue Paul's almost in a category of his own. But nevertheless, he's not one of the twelve, and he was apprehended after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And is partnered with Barnabas, who both are called apostles together. Barnabas plainly one of those given by the ascended Christ, as was James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, and so on. So there's another category, apostles of the ascended Christ. So there are those famous biblical categories. Jesus, the twelve, and apostles of the ascended Christ, the one who gave these various diverse gifts with different tasks. Pastor, teacher, different to a prophet, different to evangelist, different to an apostle. Not just the minister. These diverse giftings in order to do an amazing work of bringing the church to maturity. We need the diversity. It's in God's plan, it's in his purpose. So what was their task? Well again, just headlines really. First of all, they provided the foundation of the church. When the church, this amazing new thing that came into existence, this new creation... It says when they were converted, it doesn't say 3,000 were converted. It says 3,000 were added that day. Now, we understood they were converted, yes, filled with the Spirit. But then it says they were added. What were they added to? Well, they were added to a small community who were founded on these apostles. And so all those who were saved were built onto the foundation of these apostles. Ephesians chapter 2 says that this new temple is being built upon that foundation. And the apostles were those who'd been with Jesus, lived with him, watched him, taught by him, and they laid the foundation. Jesus said to them in the upper room discourse in John 14 through 16, he said things to them that he'd never said before. He began to get them ready for the fact that their relationship with him was going to be different soon. He's no longer going to be bumping into them. He's no longer going to be physical. Although John later would say, we handled him, we touched the word of life. Now it's moved on. Now it's a different kind of a relationship. And Jesus is going to prepare them for that. And he says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into truth. He'll take what is mine and reveal it to you. And in that day, then you will know the Father and I will come and make our home in you. What? You are going to make your home in me? God's going to make his home in me? What does this mean? This means a new community such as the world has never seen before. You might see David and his mighty men and an army, but you've never known a people that could say, God lives in us. It's an incredible new concept. Unparalleled in history. God actually dwelling in people. So Jesus says to them, I'm the, I'm the true vine. You're like branches in me. It's going to be an organic union. You're going to be part of me. If you look at a vine, it's not like an apple tree with a great big trunk. It's, it looks like it's all branches. It's kind of, but you're going to be in me and I'm going to be in you. And, and I've, say, I've got to say more things to you, but you wouldn't be able to handle it. You couldn't handle what I want to say to you. And so here's these apostles that had the high privilege of, yes, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, questioning Jesus, how many times? Seven or 70? Tell me some more. Tell me. They'd been in this tremendous relationship, hearing all his sayings, watch his miracles. And then he says, now listen, I could say more, but you wouldn't even understand. But when the Spirit comes to you, 
He'll tell you things you couldn't even comprehend before. So these are massively privileged men. They're going to have revelation about Jesus. And in knowing that, they are going to lay the foundations of this new community. And it says in Ephesians in chapter 3, things previously hidden, what you couldn't understand before, now revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. The mystery of the church. A people who are actually in the Messiah and the Messiah is in them. Not just like a a soldier like David, another David. No, no, no. Somehow, amazingly, he's inside you. And you are inside him. Breathtaking. So when 3,000 repent, we should never have crucified him. What on earth are we doing? Oh, can we find forgiveness? You can. Repent. Be filled with a spirit. Wow, God's on the inside. Now, who are we? What do we do? You mean you accept Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah? Yes, I do. Well, you're out of my home then. But... No, out. I don't accept him. But Father, out. Who am I? Where do I belong? Join the church. What's the church? They gave themselves every day to the apostles' teaching. Day after day, they are building a community on that foundation. The apostles laid the foundation. They set the place in motion. They laid the foundations of the church. The apostles gave identity to the church. They weren't just left individually or go off, wander off. No, they they were built together. The church came to birth on the teachings and the life. Not the teachings divorced from the people. The people themselves with their teachings, they were built on them. That's how the church got started. They were foundational. They gave identity to this new community. And they were taught that just as Jesus replaced the temple when he was on planet earth, one greater than the temple is here, destroy this temple. Now we are the temple. Now it's a phenomenal new revelation. We are are where God dwells. It's no longer you have to go to Jerusalem or to Samaria. No, here, here, where God is. God is in his church. And the apostles gave them understanding of what, the church is. They were foundational. Now sadly, a number of our evangelical brothers, lovely brothers, will say, no, apostles were simply Bible writers. And lots of books will tell you that. They were Bible writers. That's it, full stop. They wrote the Bible. That's what apostles were. And once you got the Bible written, the full canon of scripture, that's the end of the whole deal. Now that's an incredibly extraordinary thought. And yet it's just commonly held. It just doesn't stand up. But of the 12 apostles, only three of them wrote stuff that went in the Bible. And the guy who wrote more New Testament than anybody else was called Luke, and he wasn't an apostle. So the category, you know, apostles wrote the New Testament. Ah, uh, nah. Three wrote some. Luke wrote most. He wasn't one. Um, doesn't quite fit. How come that is held together? It doesn't even fit. doesn't fit close inspection. They were not just Bible writers. And yet some really godly, wonderful Bible teachers will teach that. The the, the apostles wrote the Bible. Now we have the epistles. Who needs apostles? And that's it, really. And by doing that, they take away this phenomenally important ministry for world evangelization. They rob us of the phenomenal 
dynamic, which was so evident in the Acts of the Apostles, where these churches were planted and planted, and as we're going to go on and see. It's a sad mistake. I think it comes out from the reformers when they suddenly saw justification by faith and broke away from the Roman church and started writing their commentaries. And of course, they were very scared of what the Catholics called apostolic succession, which is the Pope and the next Pope and the next Pope and the next Pope and all that. And so they began to get into scripture. No, no, it's not that. It's not apostolic succession. And I believe that they gradually began to write commentaries and, and they took that stance. And it's like every commentary that's been written since is building always on what went before. So even John Stott's most recent book on the church has a few pages which say, effectively this, no, the Bible's written so apostles are over. And it's that same argument, but it doesn't really stand up to inspection. They were not simply scripture writers. Even our great apostle Jesus was not a scripture writer. Nor did he gather 12 and say, I gather you to write the Bible. Nowhere mentioned. Not even thought of. So what did they do? Well, perhaps the clearest, concise description that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, as a wise master builder... I laid foundations of a local church. Now obviously, and I don't want to be misunderstood, the apostles, in the letters they did write, and the other scriptures such as Luke wrote, Luke's Gospel, the book of Acts, etc., consolidated together in what we call the New Testament is foundational to our faith. The canon completed, finished, we thank God for the revelation contained in Scripture. The sense in which I think I didn't have to say that, but it's perhaps good to say that. But Paul says, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. That was the actual work that he did. He wrote letters on the hoof while he was doing that. From prison, from wherever, which for us have become sacred scripture. But what he was actually doing was what Jesus said, go and make disciples, and which we saw in the earlier session, that meant go plant churches where disciples will be made. And they wrote letters which are full of wisdom and revelation, apostolic insight, which become our New Testament. And so he's saying, look, I laid the foundation. Again, we're familiar with this, aren't we? It's a Greek word from which we get our word architect. I was a wise architect. I saw the blueprint. God gave me revelation of the church. God gave that to him as an apostle. He saw those things. He recorded those things. And he says things like this. If I'm not to others an apostle, I am to you. He said, you are, he said to the Corinthian church, you're the proof of my apostolic gift. What do you mean the proof? Well, the fact that you exist as a church is proof that I am an apostle to you. That's the way he argues in the letter. You are proof of my apostleship. He also says in Romans 15, 20, I didn't want to build on another man's foundation. He wanted to go where Christ was not named. He wanted to make sure he was building his own foundation. So again, you get this kind of another man's foundation. Well, obviously, there are other apostolic ministries out there laying foundations. This is a dynamic concept, not just a philosophical concept. It's a dynamic thing that you do. You go out, you lay foundations. Paul did. It's something he did, which was part of his gift. 
rather like an evangelist might come to town and do his gift, to come and preach, heal the sick maybe, declare the gospel. He's doing his ministry. Paul will go and do his ministry, which was establishing a church, laying a foundation. It was a dynamic concept. That's what he did. And so Paul said, through the gospel I became father to you. Which seems different to the evangelist role of Philip, the only named evangelist in the New Testament, doesn't seem to father churches. He goes on, does it again, does it again. But Paul says, look, through the gospel I became a father. And the word father is another word that we associate with apostolic ministry somewhat. Because Paul argues that line. He says, you made many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. So there's a relational factor there that Paul appeals to. He says, I became your father through the gospel. And he developed relationships with churches. And as we heard from Stephen Rain earlier in the week, a church like Philippians would feel they were in partnership with Paul. It's quite plain that that's how it was. The Philippians sent finance to him. He sent teaching. They were, they were in a relationship with his apostolic ministry, their church, his care for that church. It was a, a relational thing that continued. He brought them to birth he continued having a link with them. And so Paul developed this kind of partnership, relationship. And even some churches like Colossians, which he had never actually visited face to face. One of the guys working with Paul, Paphras, he had gone, he planted. Maybe when Paul was at uh, Ephesus in a center where he stayed for two years teaching and young guys went in and out from him. Churches planted all around Asia. So all Asia heard the word. Churches got planted, and some Paul didn't actually see face to face because the guys working with him did the work. He was stabilizing, bringing apostolic teaching daily, daily, pumping out this revelation of the church, and guys were going out, starting churches, coming still within his apostolic sphere. So a sphere for Paul is an ongoing relationship with a number of churches. Paul's sphere, what the theologians call the Pauline churches. And so that's a Bible concept. It's Paul an apostle, churches that he relates with and are in fellowship with him in his ministry. Now it's important we see that these churches, he says, I have the care of all the churches too. It was an ongoing thing he felt in prayer. He writes often about, I'm praying this for you, I'm praying that for you. Day and night I'm praying for you. So it's, it's an ongoing, affectionate Link. It's not kind of headquarters mentality. It's certainly not impersonal. It's certainly not static. It's something very dynamic. Life imparting. I want us to see it's, it's kind of two-way life imparting. So in 2 Corinthians 10.13, Paul is arguing about his sphere. And he says, we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God appointed to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. So Paul is saying that God has given him a certain gift which did have some geographical aspect to it. He said, God has allowed me to come as, he's given me measure to reach as far as you. You're within my sphere. God's given me the sphere. I've measured as far as you. I'm not overextending, he says. It's a God thing. God has built us together. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, not boasting beyond our measure, that is in another man's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we shall be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. 
I just want to stay with that for a moment. I know the NIV talks about our area of activity among you will expand. I read from the NASB where it says our sphere will be expanded by you. Not just in you, but by you. And it's quite plain, I think, from the passage that that must be what he's saying, that there's an expanding ministry that is coming about by virtue of his relationship with the church there. It's not just a ministry that's growing within Corinth. It's because of his relationship with Corinth that his ministry is going to then expand further. They are dynamically, please hear it, as a local church, they are dynamically involved with apostolic outreach. The way they either press on or don't will affect the reach of his apostolic ministry. That's how dynamic it is. And dear brothers and sisters, I'm hoping with all my heart as I preach through this this afternoon, it's very important that we really see this incredibly important factor. We gave an apostolic sphere a name, New Frontiers. But I want to really underline here what's important is apostolic sphere, not a name. And it's possible that we're part of New Frontiers. You might say, How's the apostolic sphere going? Huh? What's that? We get the magazine. No, we've got to really. Even when we came up with a name, New Frontiers, we've been fighting it all the time. But it's very important, and I'll come back to this more in a moment. We've reached a very important phase with that. Murray Harris, in his excellent commentary on 2 Corinthians, says this. He's commenting on this. He translates it as such. We do have the hope that as your faith goes on increasing, with your aid to our work enlarged, in accordance with our assignment, it will overflow. Let me just read what Philip Hughes says in his commentary. Hence the hope which Paul here expresses is, as the faith of the Corinthian grows, he will become free to increase the measure of his apostolic course beyond Corinth to more distant parts, which are as yet without the gospel. A spiritually unsettled state of affairs at Corinth constitutes a hindrance to his moving further afield. So he's, he wants a healthy scene behind him so he can reach on. He doesn't want the Corinthian church in problems because that's pulling him back. As you grow, as your faith grows, and the earlier chapter is saying, as you release resources to, I can press on. That's what he's actually saying. It's the context of the passage. But if I'm having to deal with your problems, your carnality, your arguing with one another, your misuse of spiritual gifts, your worldly wisdom, all sorts of horrible things that found their place in the Corinthian church. He's saying, look, I'm having to deal with you. I'm having to sort you out. Do you want me to come again with a rod? Come on, sort yourself. Why? Because well, I want to go on. And I can't. He's not called to be a pastor. He's called to be an apostle. And he wants them caught up with him in it. A local church not functioning properly if it's not caught up with this apostolic development. And so Hughes goes on and says, their love and loyalty and their establishment in the faith not only give joy to him as their spiritual father, but also had the effect of liberating him in his apostolic capacity for carrying the good tidings of salvation to others. 
who are still, as they once were, in darkness and bondage and unbelief. Their need was to capture his vision for themselves and to see to it that they too, though it was true, a geographically localized community, were integrally bound up with the realization of that dynamic vision. It's outstanding comment. So in Bible days, what was the church like? You know, we've got this sort of church and that sort of church, the Methodist and the Anglican and the Baptist, and we've got to get right back into this New Testament and see what happened. What happened was Jesus called apostolic ministry apostles. They began to gather communities. They built them up in health and sufficiency in Christ and then went on. And they're looking for these churches to come help push them in to the next neighborhood. It isn't that the church becomes an institution in itself and then maybe some people get a burden for and go and join a missionary society and, well, goodbye to you, we'll just get on. No, somehow the church is incredibly integrated with the apostolic because we've got to reach the world. And the church is built on that passion. The local church is part of the globe. Jesus said, go into all the world. Make disciples of every nation. That's the manifesto. That's the foundation we're building on. So why do we stop? Well, we stop to make disciples. We stop to gather a community of all the people here who say, Jesus, your Lord. Great, the health they give. It's all going. On we go again. We're, we go. We're in it together. And Paul says, if you're not healthy, not, I've got to, get, I've got to keep, keep coming back in. It's a very dynamic context. J.B. Phillips translates it quite simply your growing faith will mean the expansion of our sphere of action. It's not about being in your, your growing faith will mean the expansion of our sphere of action. So apostolic global impact and healthy local church are integrated. They're not two different things, they're integrated. A healthy church can help apostolic trust. A church says, oh, not, no, it's not helping the world get evangelized. We're in this together. We're dynamically involved. A dynamic concept whereby churches and their faith and partnership determine the growth of apostolic work. Interlocked in living fellowship. They're in it with him. So apostolic churches are caught up dynamically on a mission. So we talk about ourselves here, together on a mission. Not just when we come here for a week, name of a conference, it's trying to catch who we are. We're together on a mission. Sometimes people are shocked, to be perfectly honest, when they come as guests and get the feel of what's happening. It's a wonderful biblical discovery. And as we put on our videos and as we have our dear friends here, you see it's crossing nations, it's crossing borders, it's moving on. God is doing it. We are trying to recapture biblical Christianity. And so it grieves me when, oh, apostles just wrote the Bible, that's the end of them. Now what do we, oh, come on, we've got to get that sorted. That's got to be rediscovered. That's got to be nailed down properly. We've got to fight for that. We've got to argue for that. So no, it's wrong. It's not what the Bible says. Because this is important. It's not just what the way they do it. It's important. As God breathes blessing on us, may we get, I pray often, God, give us numerical success. Give us success so that we're heard among people who love the Bible 
interpret it for the individual all the time. Preach wonderful sermons about sanctification. But don't see the dynamic of global evangelization through Bible way of honoring apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers and getting global evangelism done. It's huge for us, dear friends. Absolutely huge. Now, this practical outworking of apostolic ministry is completely lost if we only see the apostles as scripture writers. We get stuck in institutionalism, democracy, independence. Now, the danger of becoming static is probably where Mr. Driscoll turned up last year and was so provocative and challenging of us. He's saying to us, watch out, be careful. And he served us very nobly, courageously, helpfully. And he was saying, be careful, you don't get static. It's one of the things he was saying, really. As we grow larger, it's possible for us to lose some of the edge of our New Testament origins and begin to look like something a little different that you can just belong to. It's easy below. Oh, we've just joined New Frontiers. What does that mean? Well, I'm not quite sure. Without really scratching away and saying, what is this about? What are we actually building on? What is it? So it was very good for us to hear that. It was very good for us to hear the challenge. And he said to us, you may recall if you were here, uh, he said, it's time for Terry to find a husband for his daughter. And you may remember, and if you weren't here, I'll just have to fill it in a bit. During the conference, someone had used an illustration about a wedding. And uh, Mark Driscoll had been in my home the previous day and seen on our walls some beautiful photographs of my daughter and her wedding. And he put these things together and came up with this analogy. That new frontiers is like Terry's daughter. Now he needs to find a husband for her, a successor. You've got to watch out because your founder, as he put it, is not getting any younger. And uh, we need to think of the future, honoring the future, not over-honoring the founder. And he, I believe, was helped by God to challenge us along those lines. That's helpful in some ways and in some other ways not quite so helpful because the stuff I've been saying so far wouldn't necessarily have been in his thinking pattern. He didn't necessarily understand us in the terms I've just explained of what we're trying to be of an apostolic sphere and he wouldn't necessarily have been aware of what has happened already, started to happen, which I'm going to move on to now. It's already started to happen and he would have been somewhat ignorant of that. And so his wake-up call was healthy, helpful. His illustration of finding a husband for your daughter like a successor to the movement, which was the kind of language, was not very helpful. And I hope I can make clear what I mean by that as I press on. Because the reality is this, that over the years, already things have started happening. What started actually as one kind of sphere. And I said of the Apostle Paul, when he was at Ephesus, there were churches like Colossae and others that he hadn't even visited, guys that were representing him. Now that's happening to us now and has been for some season on a global scale. That guys who went out from us have not simply represented Terry, though 
I have nothing but love and loyalty from the guys I work with. But their own gift now has begun to come to life. Probably at the beginning they would have said, well, I represent Terry. I represent him here. You know, I learned. I was near. I went. And this is what's happened. But now more and more, let me illustrate, for instance, in, say, West Africa. John Peepy, who was with us in the Brighton Church for, I think, four years. And really was so integrated with us. Went back to Accra and uh, to become professor of zoology at Accra University started in a church in his home which grew and is now in some hundreds. He's planted churches across Ghana and is now into seven nations along the West African coast. Nigeria and Togo and Benin and Sierra Leone and Guinea, Conakry. Seven nations which I've never visited and nor am I likely to. But he's not only started churches, he has taught them about the grace of God strongly against the backdrop of very legalistic Christianity. When he went back, he thought he'd go and join a local church. He'd be happy to be professor of zoology, go to church. God had other ideas. And when he went to it, he thought, no, that's not like it. Oh, no, that's not like it. That's not, why, where, what's going on? So he thought, I better start again. So he started a church on grace and truth and the things he'd learned from us. And he fought against legalism and harshness and condemnation-driven Christianity and heavy-handedness. And he built a different kind of a church and said to them, you call me John, I'm not bishop this and bishop that. And he learned how to build something completely different and fought for grace themes like apostles do. And then he wrote a book called God's New Tribe because he found the churches there were built along tribal lines. And even if you're in church, you look down at those others in that other church because they're in that other tribe. So the churches carried along the tribal lines. If this isn't the church of God, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, hey, we're one people. And he fought for it. He did apostolic work. And planted churches that are prospering and growing. and Hey, it's apostolic. It's happening. He is changing the expression of Christianity along West Africa. Hallelujah. It's happening. It's happening. Edward Berea in Kenya. On television week after week. Planting churches all the time. Challenging the values of a nation thundering out messages that make a nation stop and think when it nearly went into prolonged civil war, caring for the poor, planting churches, doing a great apostolic work. I have visited, loved it. But it's Edwards' apostolic work. That's happening more and more. It's not like suddenly, you know, this movement, the old guy's drifting off, we better find another we have got some pumping life out there that's already happening. In West Africa, East Africa, in fact, Africa, when we started, dear friends, and we've got to remember, some of us go back a few years, and, you know, we were like 30 churches, and Simon Pettit was in Sussex with us, one of the local guys, and then off to Africa. 
Simon and Lindsay responding to God's call. And from my perspective, it's like he's, he's Mr. Africa. So John and Edward, you know, Simon. And then we had the tragic and unexpected loss of Simon. Some four years ago now, Simon suddenly died. So unexpected, so just tragic. But God spoke to us at that time. It's important for us to know that since Simon died, in Africa, since he died, we're now working in Uganda, Ethiopia, Sudan, Tanzania, Malawi, Togo, Liberia, Benin, Botswana, Zambia, Mozambique, and about to go to Mauritius. Something's pumping in Africa. God spoke to us prophetically. Happened to two different people. They saw a vision when Simon died of a tree that fell. And many of you are very familiar with this now, but some it's new to. There were saplings growing in his shade and they would grow. We weren't to replace him by a successor. We were to give space now to these saplings that were growing in the shade of his magnificence. Also, actually, I had invited Simon to represent what we were doing in Australia and New Zealand, which was, of course, where Simon tragically died while he was in New Zealand serving that work, moving and working among the New Zealand churches at the time. In fact, when Wendy and I were in New Zealand last year, we went to the place where he died. We spoke at the conference centre, the first time they'd been back since that occasion, and actually had the privilege of speaking to the nurse and her husband who were with him. And we just spoke to them and asked lots of questions and so on. And then we told them about this word God had given about the tree falling and the saplings. And the guy said, "Um, excuse me a minute, may I just... And he he ran off, came back, said, I'd like to show you my journal. He turned the pages back to that next day, the date. He said, may I read to you? And it was just in his handwriting. And he said, God said to him, a tree has fallen... And saplings that are, were growing in his shade will grow up. I, mean, I, th- I thought, wow. He was amazed to hear that God had said, he said, I didn't know, I just wrote it down. So there was like a third testimony to that, that there were a number of ministries that would replace. So actually, we undid what we were doing there. We dismantled the single structure for Southern Africa and released guys to find their gifting to begin to see what God would do in and through them and out of that as I say I've just named some dozen nations that these guys have pressed into so what happened there has been so so instructive not only that Peter Brooks has gone out now to Sydney Australia to take up what Simon was beginning to care for But not only has he gone there, but out of that, Cambodia, Philippines, Japan. What was with one guy is now with several guys. It's taking off. I was thrilled when I went to Sydney. Wendy and I were there last year. The first thing I went to, the first thing that was on, apart from a jazz concert, which was fun, the next week 
was a week of prayer. The church had a week of prayer. And the thing that so stirred my heart was being at a week of prayer where there's a church, but the prayer meetings, they were praying for not only the church plant in Brisbane, one of the three of the great cities on our list of 50 here, and also a plant in Melbourne, another of the three of those great cities. But they were praying for New Zealand, and they were praying for the Philippines, and they were praying for Cambodia, and they are praying for Japan. I thought, wow, this is some local church. Go to their church prayer meeting. Wow, this is exciting. I mean, Sydney's important, you could say. But it's in their hearts. They're already embracing an apostolic perspective in their prayer meeting. I just listened. I just listened to them praying. And while we were there, just there a few months, one of the guys at one of the meetings said, God's called me, I'm going to Melbourne. And we've had a meeting today, I think, about that. It's dynamic, friends. It's like, I must go and start again. It's, it's in the warp and woof of what is happening. It's coming to birth. It's taking place. It's like a, a people owning a broader vision than, can we have a nice church here, please, a bit like New Frontiers. In having Pete there, in having Steve Bradinger, having Kate Miles there, we've invested quality people, not only for a great church there, I believe, but that they can have impact, have impact, have impact. I was asking Kate, how's it going? We're going up to Brisbane to be with them, to help them. It's a big vision. And it keeps growing. And while we were there, we had a, a conference for the Pacific Rim leaders. And they all came down. And then I noticed when they came to the church on the Sunday, having just stayed over from the conference, I just noticed the people in the church, they were all over them, praying, laying hands on them, blessing them, integrating with them. I thought, wow, this is magnificent. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, as your faith grows, we can reach out, we can reach out. I was watching it happen. New Frontiers is a name we put over that. What's happening across Africa as we break into Zimbabwe, as we do break into Mozambique, as we break across, as we go right into the heart of Johannesburg, pumping churches. That's what we're doing. We're on the move. Building churches, yes, of stature, of worth, of value, and reaching out. It's already happening. So in all honesty, the idea of finding a husband for my daughter doesn't quite fit. The Bible way, really, Adam's told, fill the earth. Multiply, fill the earth. Abraham was told, you will fill the earth. Sons who become fathers, who have sons who become fathers. That's the way it happened. They just kept on happening. Anybody who tried now at this present stage, to become the apostle and to, to turn what is currently New Frontiers into one apostolic sphere, the way it started, and said, so, right, now it's your sphere, would just pull everything back. Now, Wendy and I have grown with it. Nigel and others, some of us, you know, we've grown with it. We've just been with it. We're just watching it happen. But it's not just Terry's apostolic sphere anymore. Hasn't been for a while, really. There are pumping spheres out there, reaching out to nation after nation after nation. It's a different kind of animal to the one that Mark felt he was describing. 
When I went to Australia, I didn't go to be the father of those churches. I went to stand with Pete when we went across to New Zealand, for instance. And the guys were looking to Pete, drawing from Pete. I'm happy to stand with him if I can be an encouragement, more like a coach. It wasn't my apostolic sphere, but I'm very happy to be alongside. Pete's bringing energy. Pete and I went up to Japan to be with Tom and the church plant there. And yeah, of course, they're looking to Pete. And I was very happy to be part of that. But it's already happening. It's growing. It's pumping. When I go down to Ghana later this year, I'll be just standing with John. It's John's work. And if I visit anywhere these days now, it's another apostolic sphere that is growing. So Mark's illustration doesn't quite work. I have a daughter. And she already has a husband. And he's very happy about it, he tells me. And uh, they've got three kids. And not only they've got three kids, uh, the church at Jubilee, under his leadership, was planted out to Table Bay, Table View, Grace Church, pastors here. Planting out into Port Elizabeth now. The next one on the horizon, Mauritius. That's a hard place to go, Mauritius. Mauritius. <laughs> All right, so my daughter's got a husband, they're having kids. Having kids and church kids. It's all happening. It's happening already. Dear friends, we are coming to the end of the beginning. That's what we're approaching. We're coming up to the end of the beginning. When it was one apostolic context we've got some things to work out we've got some nuts and bolts we've got some eye dotting T crossing it's great to be dear dear friends it's great to have guys we can talk with pray with how do we there's some details we've got to work but we feel the principle is very clear the principle is established Jesus didn't hand over to a successor. Peter was not the Pope. When Peter stood with the eleven, a friend of ours has recently been ever so helpful in writing to us, a dear friend who's in another context and been thinking about such things, wrote a really, really helpful paper. And he, he said, when Peter stood with the eleven on the day of Pentecost, everybody was happy. Peter was the spokesman. And he said this, it was Peter's moment, not Peter's movement. Later on, Council of Jerusalem, they're all discussing, debating, Paul speaks, Barnabas speaks, Pete, James, oh, and then James sums up. This is my view. And everybody says, amen. But that didn't make James apostle of the nations. He was just a moment where, yeah, he was given wisdom which seemed good to everybody. And they proceeded from there. In fact, when Paul went down to Jerusalem, it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, he went to see those of reputation. He doesn't say, I went to go and see the new leader. I went to those of reputation. And then he says, a few verses later, those reputed to be pillars in the church 
gave me the right hand of fellowship. Those reputed to be leaders. There's a kind of a flexibility here that is not stagnantly, right, he is the successor, he's the successor. It gets wider and wider and wider. He's the successor. He's the... What happens? Well, something happens that's not going to be very healthy. What we're looking for is sons who become fathers, who have sons who become fathers. Gifts that grow and multiply, spheres. You find in the New Testament that when Paul became a newly recognized apostle, certain things happened. He didn't come from the Jerusalem stable. He wasn't trained by Peter as it happens. He didn't come from that stable. He had proof of his ministry. What was that? He grasped what the gospel was, that's for sure. He was very clear about what the gospel was. He preached it successfully. He founded churches. He fathered churches and was recognized for his gift. He did not want to be alone. He plainly went down to Galatia to make sure that he wasn't running in independence. He wasn't running. uh, And somehow he said, I didn't want to run in vain. And it's an extraordinary passage in Galatians because he said, even if an angel told you a different gospel, let him go to hell. I've got the authentic one. And then he said, I went down to Jerusalem to check it out. (laughs) But there's a determination. I want to be in step with what is there before me. A real respect for those who were apostles and recognized to be such before he came on the scene. So he wanted unity with the existing. He wanted recognition from those who were before him. He wanted affirmation from those who were before him. And actually later on, when Peter gets confused about grace and law issues, and you remember the story, it's referred to in Galatians where when the Judaizers move in, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles and toes another kind of a religious line. And Paul says this, I challenged him to his face. He didn't say, hmm, looks like Peter's drifting then on this. We'll be a different group. If he'd done that, it'd be tragic. And so although he came from a different stable, he wanted unity, he wanted to work out unity, he wanted their affirmation, and when he saw Peter drifting on grace, he said, I confronted him. Why? Because I want the church together. I want us to be preaching the same gospel. I want the world to know about Jesus. I want us to hold together. So he confronted Peter, and Peter saw it, and Barnabas drifted for a while, but I confronted him. We sorted it. Because actually these emerging apostles had the kind of relationship where they longed for utter unity and could confront and encourage and challenge one another. That's there in the Bible. That's there. It's there for us to see. It's on the scriptures pages. They wanted ongoing relationship. They didn't just, oh, he's gone a different way, another emphasis. That wasn't acceptable. And so they were a fellowship of apostles, a forum of fathers, a band of brothers, a quiver full of apostles. They held together, kept relationship. As apostles, they could have chosen to go their own way. They could have said, well, we're just off. That could happen to us. It could be that any one of the brothers who is emerging in apostolic circle, gift and sphere, could say, well, it's been great. I've loved being part of this. 
I just feel now it's, I, need, I want to just go. People are free to do that, actually. Because New Frontiers is a name we gave to a sphere that Terry Virgo raised up. It may be apostles will arrive, well, actually, great, but they must be free to do that. It's not something that's in our control. Something called New Frontiers has authority. No, it's just a name we came up with. It's not what we want. As we stay together here, we see the relationships, that incredible video, those wonderful words that John Lampferman was saying, not realizing it was being captured on film, not realizing that when he was saying those magnificent words, I just watched a Pakistani being laid hands on by a Ghanaian and a Kenyan. And, one, and then he said, in that moment, we all became Pakistanis. Wasn't that fantastic on that video? I know I have the privilege of seeing the video a few more times than you. But it was breathtaking. John didn't even know that that was being filmed. Well, he's outside after it had happened, but it was filmed and we put it together. The, the harmony, the love, the mutual care, the mutual involvement. Some of our task teams, as we call them, about the poor, about invading new nations, about evangelism. They crisscross all kinds of borders and spheres and they hold us together. I would love to feel they will into the future. God has bonded us together. And so we must believe for the emergence of new apostles. That's the key for the future. We're not looking for a husband for my daughter we're praying, the Lord of the harvest, will you give us more laborers? He ascended on high. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. He's the one. It's his church. It's not our organization. It's not our institution. We've got to keep this together somehow. Let's find a successor. Hold it together. No, 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 no. He's the head. He's the giver of gifts. He's the ascended Lord. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. His church. In his rather well-known article, a man called Rengsdorf, who makes a tremendous teaching about apostles, says this, Apostles are not an appointment of the church or a name given to its leadership. They are the gift of the exalted and ascended Christ to his church. They are not an appointment of the church. You say, Terry, you're going to make some more apostles. How do you do that? It's like, you're going to make some more evangelists. I don't know how to. I could send you and say, he's an evangelist, but if he can't do it, he's not. <laughs> Front Edge has been a phenomenal thing where Lex and Adrian and a few others have, have really motivated, excited, stirred, stimulated guys who do have evangelistic gifting and, and they've helped them to believe in their gifting. They've helped, they can't make evangelists. It's a context where guys called and gifted by God can be spurred on to more. God gives the gift. It's a God thing. And the, the day we make it our thing is the day we drift towards an institution. We can't do it. John Stott says this, the New Testament never contemplates the grotesque situation in which the church commissions and authorizes people to exercise a ministry for which they lack the divine call and the divine equipment. 
He sees that as grotesque. So, well, he can be your apostle. What, have they been called? Oh, I don't know, he'll do. Is he gifted? I don't know, you're stuck with him. So, no, we're not going that way. I'm talking about where we're beginning to see it's breaking out here, it's breaking out there, it's there to be seen, it's happening. You don't try and make it happen. It's not a name given to the church's leadership. It's a gift of the exalted Christ. We need to be praying. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest. It's one of the things that all of us in our praying, in our church prayer meetings, in your individual prayer, it's often on my lips as a prayer. Lord, give us. You said, ask the Lord of the harvest. Give us laborers for the harvest. In Ephesians 4 terms, give us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Give us laborers for the harvest. Let's see some more spheres open. Let's see some more churches galvanized to be joined to an apostle, pumping resources, going to join, going to visit. Like Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, Epaphras, who's one of you, is with me at the moment. It happens. It's already been happening. One of you is there for a while, getting involved in what's happening. There's a lot of crisscrossing going on. With apostolic thrust, not just for a little visit. God will do it. There must be times where people seek and are given the right hand of fellowship. It's not a big ecclesiastical event. It doesn't need a big meeting and a platform and a certificate. It probably happened in a room somewhere. But Peter's with these guys and they said, count on us, we're with you. We honour your gift. We give you affirmation. And it meant a lot to Paul. It wasn't some big religious event. There may be moments of unclarity. It's interesting about Timothy. You know, is Timothy an apostle or not? Mm. He's a delegate. Paul can boast about him. He's worked with me like a son with the father. He knows my ways. Receive him like you'd receive me. And yet when he writes the letter, he says, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy. And then later I just stumbled on this verse. You may be very familiar with it, but I kind of hit it myself in 1 Thessalonians 2 and he talks about we were gentle among you. As apostles, plural, we were gentle among you. And he's writing Paul, Timothy and Silas. And he says, we, would, we as apostles, we were gentle. We, who's we there then? You're saying Timothy is an apostle now? Silas, he's called a prophet somewhere else. The commentators will say all sorts of things. It's left a little bit unclear. We were gentle among you as apostles. They being with Paul, did they somehow, in the umbrella of his team? Yeah, there may be some season where we're saying, well, trust us. That wonderful word that Joel just gave this afternoon about learning just to be sometimes in someone else's slipstream for a season. Maybe that's a lifelong call, as Joel made so clear. Like Cliff Burrows, happy to be there. It may be that for some, that's the beginning, that's the beginning of something you're going to learn, like a Timothy, perhaps. And also we've got to make up, be aware that there may be categories of apostle. We mustn't say, well, it's you know, one size fits all. Maybe Paul was very special. It used to be Barnabas and Paul. Actually, it changed. became Paul and Barnabas. I guess he was a bit special, eh? Peter says some of his letters are hard to understand. 
So let's, let's say, yeah, okay, Paul, he's up there. He's pretty key. And, and one would have to say, you know, Billy Graham, he's a bit special as an evangelist. Does that mean that our guys are not evangelists? No, it doesn't. It means he's a special one. And there may be different categories. We've got things to learn. But what we mustn't do, dear friends, is get a group of pastors together and say, we're an apostolic team. No, you're not. You're a group of pastors. It's very important that we don't muddle the categories or we come unstuck. And so let's, with love and openness, in the way that Joel preached, honor, respect, give space to, but look for, we're looking for. We don't want to squash gift, we want to release gift. That's our heart's desire. Apostolic spheres, gifts, and relationships. Essentially, New Frontiers was a name given to a sphere of churches under Terry's apostolic leadership. It would be my hope that New Frontiers will live on. But it's more important, hear me, it's more important that apostolic spheres are raised and genuine apostles and that churches are in dynamic partnership with apostolic advance. New Frontiers as a name can go. That's not my heart's desire. But it's so much more important that apostles emerge vitally engaging with churches that know they're on apostolic mission together, not simply on the New Frontiers list. Dynamically joined aware we're on world mission together it's hugely hugely important not just an institution but fits in with the others and called new frontiers we've got behind us not only mobilize i'm so thrilled you're here i felt god told us years back be together with mobilize it's a dynamic in god's purpose for us but behind that you've got new day in this country. I know in the States you've got one blaze, you've got all sorts of things. There's another generation that's saying, yeah, we want to follow you guys. We love what you say. We're for it. We're pumping. We love it. We're in. (laughs) Hey, be careful. There's a generation coming up behind you. They're not very interested in institutionalism. They're radical. You've been to New Day? It's red hot. I know a lot of you people, when we come to the offering and, and we say, well, some of it goes to New Day. I've spoken to people say, we're very happy about that. My teenager is transformed by New Day. So many are very happy. Yeah, look, please can we get behind New Day. Don't stop New Day. It's turned my teenager back to God. It's hard to put a value on that. I've had a few teenagers break your heart, don't they? But to say, no, they're now pumping for God. And when they come through, dear friends, they don't want to sit around. And some of them are going to start following the likes of Tom and Julie out there to Japan, Istanbul, St. Petersburg, the new courage. As Dave says, Dave Devonish says on the video, it's not just a general desire for the world, but individuals saying, I must go there. I must learn the language. I've got to pay. And, and you just get into the culture. You think, what happened to them? Did they die? No, they're just falling to the ground for a season. They're learning language. They're working hard. And what's going to come forth? That's got to happen, dear friends. Praise God for short-term teams. 
But we've got to find coming through our ranks, people say, I'm going for the long haul. It's got to happen. But we've got to stay vibrant for that to happen. It's got to be uncomfortable to sit around. We've got to be in pumping churches, caught up in mission. So what could hold the spheres together? And I must close. What could hold the spheres together? Well, it could be like it is in South Africa. You've got different spheres growing, but they, they're fellowshipping a lot. The different apostolic guys coming through and they're gathering, they're church planting, in the, but they're keeping in touch. Obviously here as well, but there, they're making it work. They know what God said to us at the beginning, you can accomplish more together than you can apart. They can have a bigger clout across South Africa together and into Zoom and other nearby nations. By acting corporate, they can have more punch. That's still true. Whatever happens, that will still be true for us. There are relationships of love. Walking away would break their hearts. We are integrated with profound love. There's unity of doctrine and values. And sadly, sometimes you find you lose that quickly when you get out. But we've been strength to us. You prize it. I know for myself, we're going we're off to the States next week. We'll be in Africa later in the year. We'll be into Mexico. You move into different languages, different groups, but you find the culture. You find the values. It's marvelous. And we thought, I don't want to walk away from that. And I'm hoping that next generation won't want to walk away from that. It's too precious. Also, there are promises that God's given us to change the expression of Christianity all over the world. I'm not sure that any one sphere can do that, but lots of spheres together, in harmony, fellowshipping. We can change Christianity around the world. I believe it. I know others are doing it, other teams God's raising up, but we've got a massive part to play. Ginny's phenomenal prophecy of the other evening was under, you are integrated to the world. Amazing phrases that came through. Nations. We're going to touch nations. We need one another. We will still need one another, I believe. I guess lastly, just to say that I've always felt that God spoke to us years ago about the role of a Joseph, of a visionary dreamer, who in his youthfulness may have been a bit excessive, insensitive, thrown out, kept his dream, kept his dream, kept his dream, stayed pure through the testings, and ultimately came into a place where he blessed his brothers and the world. I'm still believing for that, for us. I'm so grateful to God for doors opening into conservative evangelicalism who in the past have been nervous, but somehow they're saying, hmm, you seem to be working with the poor. You seem to be establishing that you're producing something. Maybe you're not so crazy as we thought you were. It's happening. It's happening. I'm speaking at Keswick next year. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, we've got a church up there. Hallelujah. A church that is very much valued by that convention as it happens. It's not just platform speakers. It's churches that work and reflect values and are worth knowing. 
I believe it. I believe God. It's like, again, if I, it's like Joel said this afternoon, that, that when Jonathan won the battle, he said, come on in to the others. Come on, come and join us. It's something we've always preached. Gideon was cut down for a season, but when he got the triumph, he said, what are you up to? He said, no, come on, it's your victory as well. That's, that's a consistent feature we've always tried to underline. I believe God wants us to have a big heart to embrace and bless, if we can, the broader body of Christ. I'm thrilled to find doors are opening, that I'm going through that kind of door. When we started and we became called New Frontiers, about 30 churches, we'd already started Downs Bible Week, there may have been two or 3,000 of us, individuals. Now we gather in excesses of that here as leaders from all over the world. <laughs> when we started in Sussex, I didn't think Russia, Mexico, Japan. I mean, Haywards Heath was a long way to go. <laughs> Bedford was in the far north. God's done an amazing thing. With one sphere, what's it going to be when dozens of spheres kick in, develop their teams, Grow their spheres. Keep walking in love and relationship. Where will it take us? Where will it take you? God will do it. God will take us from nation to nation. Rice Brooks, in his book, says, every nation in our generation. I don't know if that's something I can say, yeah, but behind us, we've got New Day. Thousands of teenagers. Can they say every nation in our generation? Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to break through. As we push into Delhi, as we push across India, still the, the, the subcontinent with more unreached people groups than any other part of the world, penetrating, penetrating. We're on the move, it's happening. Let's believe God will do it. We've been thinking so much about a vine while we've been here. The video has been showing vineyards. Some of the artwork has been with vineyards. Now, a vine isn't, isn't like an apple tree. A vine kind of grows in clusters. Julian had a prophecy about clusters all over the place, like groups. And I saw a picture recently, which I've asked to be projected on the screen now, from Kew Gardens. And I don't know how well you can see it, but that is one vine. See, in the corner, there's the root, back of the picture. I don't know how many clusters there are. How many apostolic clusters from the one root. Not apples in their loneliness, but clusters of grapes around an apostolic ministry and its team. Another cluster there, there's another cluster there, there's another cluster there. Look at it. Scores of clusters. That's what I want to believe God for. We've still got a few questions to sort out. Eyes to dot, teased across in transition. 
But in these next few years, however long that is, just a few years, last year, Mark Driscoll said to me, for the next three to five years, three to five is already down to two to four. Where did that year go? Next few years, we are coming to the end of the beginning. This is just the beginning. We used to gather all our leaders in Bloemfontein in South Africa. Now they gather in Cape Town, they gather here, they gather there, they gather in their hundreds. God will do an amazing thing. Let's stand to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Dear friends, this evening we come back to our celebration, to our opportunity to express our commitment to this surging, apostolic, multi-sphered development we're in. I do want to encourage you, as Stuart did earlier, please, please, if we're going to keep our promises to our friends in India, Africa, we need 1.5 million. We've already had to say no to some things we would love to have said yes to. We would have loved to say yes to, but we can't. We felt 1.5 was realistic, it's challenging, but it felt, mm, we can do that. But we really need you to say, yeah, we're in this, we're in this, with all our hearts, we're in this. So as your faith grows and grows, our sphere can extend further and further. Father, we do pray that as we gather this evening, your spirit will rest wonderfully upon us. We ask you once again, Lord, would you please, Lord of the harvest, thrust forth laborers. Will you ascended Christ, you ascended on high, you gave gifts, you gave some apostles, you gave some prophets, you gave some evangelists, you gave pastors, teachers, almighty, mighty Lord of the harvest. Would you please keep giving these gifts to us? Would you make us a great blessing to the whole body of Christ? Give us fellowship. I pray for people in loneliness, isolated churches, not caught up on apostolic mission, interpreting everything private and personally. Oh, Father, please give us deep inroads. Please give us many of those great, teachers and others to be built into what we believe you're doing and saying. And Father, we ask you for enormous success. Bless us as we go into this further year. Bless us tonight as we celebrate together. Help us, Lord, as we've tried honestly to respond to the prophetic word you brought to us here last year, as we've prayed, looked to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to fulfill our destiny. Help us to do the works foreordained of God that we walk into them. Help us to do it to your great praise.
Jesus' name. Let's sing and praise as we close the meeting. This is a song of faith, but pressing on in the purposes of God. To the ends of the earth we will go. To the